0: Welcome and good morning. I'm going to read our scripture today. You can find it on page six in your worship guide. It'll also be on the screens behind me. And then afterwards, I'm going to introduce our speaker for today. Let me go ahead and read, if you'd like to look with me, page six. From Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord, and Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I have the privilege to introduce my good friend who is now Dr. Michael Keller. When I knew him, he was just Lonely Michael. Michael. But now he is Dr. Reverend or Reverend Dr. Michael Keller. Uh, We met somewhere around 16 or 17 years ago. Can you believe that? Back in 03 when we were in seminary at Gordon-Conwell outside of Boston. He was this crazy guy who was very dangerous on the basketball court. And uh, that's where I met him. And uh, we became close friends, quick friends. We came on staff together in Boston. We were ordained together in Boston at a church called City Life Presbyterian where we served right downtown I think he was caring for the community groups at the time. I was working with college students at the time. And so uh, we've been fast friends for a long time. After serving in Boston with Michael for many years, he left and went to New York City where he was from, started a campus ministry called City Campus Ministry, a part of RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, and did college ministry with college students in the city for a long time, and then had an opportunity to play into church with his home church uh, that his father had started. And he is part of this thing called the Redeemer Network of Churches and Redeemer in New York City. And so he started a church somewhere around three years ago called Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, He's married. He's got two beautiful uh, young girls. uh, And so it's just a privilege to have him. I'd always hoped that Michael might be able to come and preach for me one day. So, Michael, we want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. It's true. Uh, you're, you're, I mean, a colleague, you're a friend, but in a lot of ways, you're a brother. So it's, it is really fun to, to be here. Um, good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, I know you've been doing a very different series than in the book of Genesis, but I kind of want to just for a break, uh, take you away from your series in the Old Testament, first in, in First Kings and whatnot, um, to look at Genesis because in Genesis, what we're going to find is the call to Abraham, which I came here um, earlier this week to work or to kind of speak at the Awaken Conference, which is about missions, it's about sending out, it's about revival, and um, it, this passage, I think, actually helps us um, see the direction that God is moving in. And I think there's no more important person in the Bible, other than Jesus, is Abraham. Um, when you look at it, the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters are actually about 2,000 years. There's 19 generations that happen in uh, the, the first 11 chapters. But then the next 14 chapters are actually centered on just one person, on Abraham. You can't understand the Old Testament. You can't understand, I think, the Bible, unless you understand Abraham because the whole history of redemption starts with him. That before Abraham, Humanity was talked about as a whole, but then afterwards, God addresses Abram and then all the individuals from his family uh, um, as, as an individual group, as a, as a people group. So there's a call, if you look at uh, the passage, if you throw it up here, uh, there's a call to Abraham in verse 3 that all the peoples of earth will be blessed through him. Paul later on in the New Testament says all Christians are are sons and daughters of Abraham, and so we're in his line. And so I think it's a question we have to ask this morning before we leave today and go out. We need to ask ourselves, do we feel like the world is being blessed by us? Or actually, put in reverse, do you think the world, are people in San Diego who are not Christians, would they say Christians are actually a blessing to them? I think a lot of people probably would say no. That In fact, a lot of people today might, might say Christians might actually hate Now, you might push back and say, well, you know, that's not true, but that's still how they feel, and so we need to ask, I think it's fair to ask, what does it look like for us as a church, what does it look like for you as a church to be called to be a blessing to all nations, to go out? And so, let's look at this call in three ways. We're going to look at the call to go, the challenges of the call, and then what we have that Abraham didn't have. We're going to look at the call to go, the challenges of the call, and then what we have that Abraham didn't have. So first, the call. And what we see here in the very first couple of verses is that Abraham receives a call away as well as a call towards something. Now, as far as a call away, he's called away from all the traditional ways that you get an identity. Look at verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, and here's what you're supposed to go from, go from your country your kindred, or in, um, in uh, the NIV, it's your people, and then your father's household, so your family. And I think this is really interesting. Here, look at all the areas. How do you normally get your identity? You normally get your identity from your political views, your political identity. You get your identity from your racial or your, your ethnic background, or you get your identity from your family, your upbringing. And what God is saying to Abraham um, before he's Abraham, he's Abram. He's saying, hey, you need to go from all the traditional ways that you normally get your identity. Whatever a- wherever Abraham went, he uh, was being called out from. Now, hear me carefully. Um, God is not saying that you don't have a political identity and that you don't have a racial and ethnic identity and that you don't have a family identity. Of course, those things are part of who you are. Of course, those, things, those the, that will always affect you and... Um, be your background and and be the way that you kind of see the world in your lens. But what he's being called from is making those his primary identity markers. And I think this applies to us too. Uh, If you're going to be really able to go out and go towards people, at some level you can't stay rooted in just the same political identity that you always have been in, or you're going to cancel those that are different from you. In the same way, you can't just stay rooted in your own ethnic identity or else you're never going to understand what it looks like to be somebody not you. And you're not going to ever really going to be able to be able to start a new family, a chosen family, a church family if you always are staying in just your family tradition. In other words, the call of Abram and I think now the call of all Christians at some level is removing our identity from these ways that are normally primary to secondary. That what you believe needs to become primary and what, how you were brought up needs to become secondary. That, you know, being the son or daughter of, of, of whoever needs to become secondary to being the son or daughter of God himself. Another way to put it, it would be that being called a Christian is, your, to, is now your identity. Your, 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 your faith is your identity, whereas your nationality is not. And so when God says go, I think it's important for us I don't, know if, I don't know if American Christians have really done this. If we, when we're told to go, have we really left? Have we really uh, responded to that call? Because I don't think it's easy to leave. For instance, for Abram to leave where he was from, he was from the, the area of Ur. And Ur, if you do some of the archaeology, it was an area that was full of water and rivers and it was with lots of grapes and dates and food. And he's being called then, to go from paradise to some place that's unknown that probably would not have been as good of the situation he was already in. To leave his people then would mean to go from individuals who liked him, who knew him, where he was known, to an area where he's not known. he's not liked. Maybe he's uh, treated differently and distrusted. Uh, when I went to college, I went to college in a part of the um, country, you know, not where I was from. And it was only four years, but when I was there, for those four years, people would would say, hey, where are you from? And I'd I'd always say, I'd say, I'm from New York City. And people usually would smile. They'd say, oh, I love New York. It's a great place to visit. (laughs) It's a great, I love visiting. I could never live there. And, you know, they say that over and over and over again. And what they're really saying is this. What they're saying is, I don't understand you. (laughs) And you really don't really understand me. And I think at some level, that's actually what, uh, on a more cosmic level, Christians need to actually feel. That at some level, the people that were around don't quite get you. By the way, you get that some of you have experienced this uh, because of, of your ethnic backgrounds. How many times have you been told, hey, where are you from? No, well, where are you really from? I mean, that's, that's hard. That's draining. That's exhausting. That's really difficult, but that is what happened to Abraham, and that's the cost of being called out, that it's no longer getting your identity primarily through your country or your people or your family, but through his faith. So there's a call out, but there's also a call in. Notice that right after this call to go out, in verse 2, now we're being told all the things that he actually gets, that once he leaves his people, that once he goes out from, there's a list of, I think there's like six things here. Let's try to count them. He says, I will make your, uh, I'll, make you, I'll take you to a land, right? That's in verse one. I'll make your name great. Uh, I will bless those who bless you, um, and you will be a blessing. Wait, hold on, I got, I got them listed here. I can't find them up there. I will show you land. I'll make your name great. I'll bless you. I'll, I'll make your name great again. I will bless those who bless you, and all the peoples will be blessed through you. That's from the NIV. So lots of blessing is going on here. The problem with the word blessing is in a sort of English that we use here, you only really use it when somebody is about to or just sneezed on you. And so there's like germs everywhere. And so blessing is kind of a trite word. It's not a great word in English. But in Hebrew, it's much, much deeper and richer. The definition I found is a blessing is a profound, internal, gifted well-being. I'll say it again. A blessing is some sort of profound internal gifted well-being where it's favor, it's substance, it's betterment. And so basically, if that's the definition of blessing, blessing is really the thing that you and I probably seek after day in and day out from others. We want to know that we're a blessing. That's why we, tr- we crave for people to say, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're worthwhile, you're something. That's why we, we, we crave and need the satisfaction of companionship and success, that we, we, deep in our souls, we want somebody to say to us, you matter. And notice we, we want, we're, we're desperate for that blessing. And so notice the logical progression. You need to go out, but by the way, there's a lot of blessing that's going to come to you, and only because of that, that now, you're, now all the families of earth shall be blessed through you. And so I think what this is really important is that means for Abram, for Abram, for mission to happen, or anybody in his family, the real mission is no longer to make a name, no longer that you have to go get a blessing, right? We're, we're so set on trying to get a blessing for ourselves, and we've forgotten the blessing's already been given. And the point is that if the blessing's already been given, if you already have it. Now you don't have to strive or try to get. Now you can just give. Instead of getting a name, you've already been given a name. Instead of needing a name, the name has already come to you. And so I guess the question I want to start before we go anywhere else is, do you realize what has actually been already given to you? Do you realize, yeah, you're being called away from a lot of things that you probably were used to get your identity from, but you've also been given so much. And now only because of that, now you can go out and be a blessing and move out. There's an old movie, Groundhog's Day, with... uh, Bill Murray, where he this man um, wakes up the same day over and over and over again, and eventually he's very frustrated. He gets kind of maniacal, and there's this phrase at one point that he utters, and he says, "I'm not going to play by their rules anymore." And he, and he kind of j- drives his car, and I actually really love that phrase because there's something there's something good about that that I think every Christian can actually say, "I'm not going to I'm, i I'm not going to play by their rules anymore." Because you get to say that to the world and to the paradigms of the world that are kind of placed on us. That you are what you look like. You are what, how you grew up. You are like the social economic status. And those things are important. They're part of who you are. They, they definitely are, but they're not primary. That there has been this blessing that's been put on you. And now, because of this calling, and for all those who, are, uh, who were in line with this, That means you and I are called out from the way we normally, or how the world would normally define us, and we're sent to, not knowing where he went. Go from your country and your kindred to the land that I will show you. Out, from, and towards this inner blessing. So now that we can be a blessing. So, all right, that's the call. And the question you have to ask yourselves is, have you received that call? Do you feel like you're on mission? I think a lot of folks were... Uh, just trying to build something to kind of just make it and just have a kind of nice happy life and just you know just can you just leave me alone, Michael? And yet it's not me. God Himself is saying no. There's there is a purpose and a plan and a direction and a movement. And I think it's fair for us to ask the question: Have we really wrestled with that? Have have we really? Are we just are we building our own little fiefdom in our own little house, or do we say no? We're part of something bigger and greater. That is going on, which would make us reevaluate all the ways we normally would uh, uh, um, define ourselves and into a whole different way and a whole different categorization. If the blessing's been given, now you can be a blessing out into the world. That's the call. Now, um, there's challenges with this call. Let me give you uh, two. The first challenge, of course, is if you're called out from, it means now there's distance that you've departed in some ways from the way that you acted and were before. And that would mean then at some level you're not going to fit into the systems, into the identities, into the ways that you normally would have lived in. So if we're called out from belonging primarily in these cultural forms of identity, but now we have this new identity, there's going to be a tension. It's called being in the world and not of it. Mersloff Wolf, who's a... um, there's some quotes in your, in your bulletin, but he's also a professor at Yale. He calls this departing without leaving, which I love that. It's, it's so compact. Have you felt, do you feel like you've departed without actually leaving? Um, so in other words, we're not, he's not being, not, you don't necessarily have to be, leave where you're from. I, I, I'm starting to, I started a church background from, but are you able to have this sense that all that we do, the reasons for why we do it are now formed and not driven? They're not to gain an identity and name. It's because we already have an identity and name that we can now have the, that, that propulsion is behind it into the world. And that would mean then we're living as Christians in the world, but not of it. That means there's going to be a tension there. People are going to be like, that, You don't quite fit in here. You, didn't, you used to fit, and now it doesn't work the same way. There's a, there's a cost then. And how do I, I'm trying to articulate this for you. How about dating? Right? The, the world does dating, sometimes there's a hookup culture because you're just trying to find somebody, a warm body to be with, and, and, and there's a kind of usury behind it. But if you've been called out from, then the way that you're going to use dating is going to be different. Or maybe singleness. Right? Singleness is not going to be just this concept of living free of restraints. It's going to be, how do I put myself as a single individual in a purpose that's greater than myself? Or uh, Family. Again, you're not just trying to build your little fiefdom for your family and trying to survive and make it. No, you're, you're, you see the whole family organism that you're in as part of a larger and greater narrative. But if you go out from the comforts of being understood, then I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we feel that tension? And if you don't, it's possible that you haven't actually gone out. Maybe you, you're not on mission. You haven't been sent. You don't feel that, that, that sentness. And so I, there's sort of a, 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 an acid test. Not, it's not just material comfort. It's do you understand that if you go try to help your neighborhood be better, if, you try to be, if you're called out into other people's needs, if you're called out to act differently at work, or if everybody is just trying to go for the bottom line, but you're saying, no, I'm here for the well-being and fellowship of all other individuals. Does that affect how we live. Does that affect how we, we operate? Uh, and will you, will you be able to leave your comforts and actually go? So that's the first challenge. Now the second challenge is when. That when the call to go out happens, um, the question comes, what does that might look like? Uh, if you look in verse 4, what it, it's really fascinating that this all happens to Abram when he's 75 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us, when we're 75, I don't think we're going to be willing to leave all of our creature comforts and our ways of doing things and start over. But what I love about his age, that he's 75 when this happens, it's telling us this. The call can come to you at any time. The call can come to you. It doesn't, I mean, it's never too late to start. If you haven't been on mission, if you haven't actually felt sent, you can start tomorrow. And so there's, no, there's, this, not, there's this concept that you might have like wasted your life, I've just been doing it for myself this whole time, have been focused so much, you can start tomorrow. My uncle Billy, um, he died when I was in high school. He was was at a hospice and he actually became a Christian on his deathbed. And I remember sitting there with him and I didn't know what I believed as a high schooler. I I, I was sitting there with him and he was just just tears down his eyes because he was saying, you know, I feel like I've wasted my whole life. I haven't affected anyone. And I remember with, with tears in my eyes, I'm like, well, you're affecting me right now. And it meant so much to him because he didn't feel like he had had done anything, but he had really moved me about his own um, story and his own background. It reminded me a lot of the man on the cross next to Jesus, that when he reached out and said, "You know, I believe," and Jesus said, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." Like, what did he do with his life? Right, he was a, he was a thief most of his life, but then, you know what happens? He's written down in scripture, and now for all of history to see, it's never too late. That your stories might not be as as profound or as like written down, bec- because of it's in scripture. But there's a way to live on a called mission, even if you're 75, 85, 95. Now, the secret, of course, is I think you can only be a blessing if you feel like you have this blessing, and I think I'm, I'm going to try to. Get into your heads. I think a lot of you are like, okay, it's great. That'd be great. I could be a blessing, Michael, if I actually felt blessed. But I don't, I don't know if I feel that experience of God. I don't know if I actually, I don't know if I live that out on a day-to-day. And I think that's a fair point, is that if we don't experience that love of God, how can we actually go out on, on, on mission? A right, true story. Um, I, I have, I've told this once at my, at my church, and I'm going to tell it to you guys again. I'm worried because yesterday... At the conference, I, I um, talked about how I messed up with my kids, and now I'm about to tell you again how I messed up. Um, this story happened when I lived in a different building uh, in New York City. I only had one daughter. I have two daughters, but I only had one, and she was a baby. And she had this thing where she'd get really fussy um, by just sitting around the house, and you had to put her in the stroller and take her out and, uh, uh, to kind of almost like reset her. It was, it was kind of interesting. Um, but she wouldn't stop crying unless you took her for a walk, and so I would, I would bundle her up and put her in the bassinet to take her outside for a walk. And I do that thing where you, you, you're kind of checking your pockets, like wallet, phone, keys. I look for the, the three things. And I'm going around and I go, where's my wallet? I can't find my wallet. And I remembered, I actually left the wallet upstairs. Uh, there's a study, there was a study room in this old building that I loved. And I, and I left the wallet up there. And I was like, oh no, I, I need to get my wallet. But uh, we're out in the hallway waiting for the elevator and, she, and, and she, the, the kind of decibel level of her crying is just like, going higher and higher and higher, and finally the elevator shows up, and so we get up to the 20th floor of this building. It takes, you know, a good amount of time. And as I'm about to leave the elevator, I go, wait a second. She keeps crying, crying, crying. If I go get my, my wallet, she, it's going to be forever before that elevator comes back. I got an idea. <laughs> Maybe I'll just leave the stroller in the elevator so that the door can't close. And you know, there's, there, in New York City, they have these like kind of radar things where, like, it won't because it, if it's blocking, it won't close. And I was like, you know what? It's just gonna be a five-minute, five-second, not five-minute, five. It's five, <laughs> gonna be a five-second run. I'm gonna run in there, and we run back. It's really five seconds. I could, like, and then I'll be back. And it, that's how long it would take. And so I was like, this is gonna be fast. So I, 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 <laughs> I, I kind of lost her in, the, in that elevator, and I, I run into the, into the room. And, I, and there's my wallet, immediately. I pick it up, and I look out on the balcony, and there's this huge hawk. And this hawk is maybe two feet, three feet from me. It's huge, and it spreads its wings. It's like a seven-feet wingspan. It's beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. It, was, I, I, it, was just, it just struck me. And I did what anybody else would do when you see, like, a hawk that big, that close. What do you do? You break out your phone. Start taking some pictures. like, this is amazing. This is, whoa, look at this thing. And then about 30 seconds later, I go, oh, shh, the baby. Put the phone back. I run back. I get to the elevator. Doors closed. No baby. And I was like, okay, okay, be cool, Mike. Be cool. Um, you know, baby's probably downstairs. No big deal. But then I start thinking about how there's a lot of floors and maybe somebody hit the button and take the baby out. I was like, okay, I'm freaking out now. I run downstairs. I see the baby carriage. It's empty. And it turns out the baby's at the front desk. So um, I go there with, like, shame, and I go, can I have my baby back? Um, but here's the point of all this. The point is this. I primarily, here's my identity. In that moment, I felt shame because I'm a dad. I'm supposed to be a caretaker. I'm supposed to be uh, the, 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 the primary, um, you know, responsibility for this, this daughter. And that my identity, and that's, those things are good. But they all went out the window when I saw that hawk. When I saw that hawk, it, th- th- those things did not matter. And frankly, all my worldly cares and identity stopped because the experience of that hawk was so powerful to me in that moment. And I'm telling you this because I think God's love has to be that for you and I. He, it needs to be such a powerful expression of beauty and wonder and awe that the other realities, they still existed and they still matter but they become secondary, that it changes your identity, and it becomes the overarching prism to see everything else through. See, to see his blessing as more important than any of the other blessings out there would be letting God be a hawk in your life. To, to see his beauty, be, let that beauty be the overwhelming beauty of your heart. I mean, that, that would be life transforming. And I know you're still thinking, but Mike, you're a really bad dad. <laughs> I know that's what you're thinking right now, but uh, get past that. And what you have to ask yourself is, it's a fair question, is does the person of Jesus, as God, capture my heart in the same way that pushes everything else out? Because I think this, this is it. This is where the, the, the rubber meets the road. When I was a college pastor, the question students asked me the most was, or at least this is what they said, they said, Michael, I believe in God, I just don't feel his presence. I, I, I believe, I do believe intellectually, I just don't feel him in my, in my heart. And the way to make that change, that move, is the truth in your head has to move into your heart because God has to become a felt presence because his beauty and wonder and awe has expanded in your life. And so last point, if that answer to you is, well, it hasn't happened or it's not happened recently or I don't really feel it, well, here's what ends up happening for many of us. What's tempting is is to look at Abraham's life. If you look over the next 14 chapters, what you'll see is you'll see a, a really righteous man and a good guy, and, and and there's people preach sermons about Abraham, like be like Abraham, and you know, tr- you know, be good and try hard and let's pray because we're you know we're done here. But as tempting as that might be, you need to know more about his background. See Abraham, and, and actually you look over his life. He was not a good person. He had a lot of flaws. He had a lot of problems. He um, pitted his wife and and. Uh, you know, Hagar against each other, and he constantly doubted God. There's all these problems. But go back to his beginning. The area where Abram lived, actually, the whole area of Ur, they worshipped the moon god. And this moon god, uh, you know, was not, it was a, it was a created deity. And there's no sign that he was actually a believer before God called him. And so God didn't say, hey, here's a man of faith. I'm going to, like, do the rest of my, you know, learned people of God, existence through him and everybody else. No, there's nothing inside of Abram that could have brought about God's favor deserved. So in other words, it, the call to go was completely by grace. God was using Abram despite his flaws, despite his, 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 um, his needing uh, achievement and needing a, an offspring and needing a life and needing an identity. And so he didn't achieve or merit these blessings. He didn't deserve them in any way. And so it's all by grace. Now that word grace, I know it's thrown around churches, so let me try to give you a definition for, of grace. Grace is not just favor in the absence of merit. Grace is favor in the presence of deserved demerit. And so Abram worshiped a moon god instead of the creator. He didn't deserve favor. He deserved demerit. And yet he still gets the blessing. We, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, I worship a lot of other things, not God. I worship my couch. I worship my bed. I worship what's on television. I, what's worship? You're putting all that you are into all that something else is. In other words, you're, you're, you're devoting your time and your energy. I was talking to one of my friends this week, and he's saying, you know what? There's only 160 hours in the week, and what we do with those hours is a form of worship. Well, it's, it, it's tangible, commodified. Uh, it's, it, it's, a, um, some, it's a way to kind of, it's a money. It's a kind of commodity that you can spend. And what you spend your time on shows what you care about. And I definitely don't spend a, a majority of my time on the hawk nature of God in my life. So all these promises he gets just through this simple faith. So let me try to make this as blunt as possible. God says to Abram, go. And he says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later, I'll tell you later. And then God says, I'm, but I'm going to give you land. And, God, and so Abram says, great, when? He goes, I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> he says, well, it, don't worry, blessing's going to come to you through the offspring that I give you. He goes, well, I'm you know 75, I'm getting up there. When, when's this offspring coming? I'll, I'll tell you later. Is it 75? No. 80? No. 85? No. 90? No. The last verses of, of your text here has Abram wandering in Canaan and Shechem in the hills of Bethel and the Negev. And it's fascinating to see this man have this incredible amount of faith, incredible trust, and yet he had not much to go on. We have so much more. We have something Abram didn't actually have. That's the, this last point. If you go to the very f- um, first book of the New Testament in Matthew, the first line of the first book, uh, I mean, sorry, um, of, of, of the first book of of the New Testament. It says this line, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the writer of Matthew wants us to say, hey, Jesus is in the line of Abraham. Go to Galatians 3.14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles that by faith they might receive. You say, okay, how's that possible? The next verse, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Every writer of the New Testament knows that the calling to be a blessing to all nations has not uh, and, and would not actually happen if it was just through us. right? The call to us, what you're supposed to have heard, is be a blessing to all nations. There, every individual that lives in this, this, uh, this promise is supposed to be a blessing to all nations, and we're not a blessing to all nations. And yet Jesus As one of the true descendants of Abraham, he is. Jesus didn't just leave his country. He left heaven itself to be a blessing to us. Abraham builds an altar to sacrifice wherever he goes, but Jesus was that sacrifice for us. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that we, his descendants now, can go out and make minor sacrifices to our lives for other individuals. And this is why now we can go out and not be afraid and we can uh, not, even if we're outed as Christians in our workplace, in our communities, in our space, in these various uh, societal spaces, we can risk it because we see what he did, what risk he made for us. And that's why I think we, we have the power to go out. And I think this is what makes Jesus a hawk in your life. When we see that he did this for us, now we can do it for other people. You will go out on mission to the degree that you see Jesus went out on his mission for you. That's the truth. And so Abraham went out not knowing where he was going to go or how long it was going to take. Probably it was, I think if you look back over his life, if he knew how long it was going to be, he might not have ever gone. But Jesus, being God, knew exactly how long and how much it would take for him to live for you. And he did it anyway. That he took the cost and the penalty for us. And all the times, folks, here's what it is. All the times that you and I haven't been a blessing, and you know those times. We, we like to hide them from ourselves. It's, it's the slights. It's the like, it's actually a lot of our, uh, not actions, it's our non-actions. It's the self-centered actions. It's the, it's the I'm just going to stay over here and do this over there and not actually interact with this group or that group or this need or that need. And yet he bore that cost, and he paid for it, and he died for it, and so we could now be a blessing. The reason why God's not a hawk in your life is because you haven't meditated on what he's done for you and how he's saved you and given you grace, not just because it's a nice free gift, but in the presence of deserved demerit, you get his love. Let me try to give you a practical application of this. Uh, I know, I think you guys just started community groups around here, um, and if you aren't one, I, I really strongly recommend you try one, and that's great, and you spend time, and what's great about community groups is you, you cry together, you live together, you do life together, and here's what happens. Inevitably, this is what's going to happen. If there's a good community group, people are going to want to come, and it grows, and it gets bigger and bigger. You know what ends up happening? Then you need to multiply, and people don't, don't want to, you don't, don't use the word split. That sounds so negative. People, you need to multiply, but nobody wants to multiply. You want to know why? Because I got my friends, and this is my group, and this is all for me. What's happening in that moment when you don't want to split? Why is there resistance there? It's because you think it's about you. See, when you allow it to actually multiply, when you allow it to become more different groups in smaller spaces, now there's more uh, um, actually openings for other people to join. See, that's what it would mean to be on mission. It's not just about, like, my needs and how I'm going to feel and what it's going to look like. It's saying, hey, I'm called to allow other people to be here, not just for myself. It's, it's, a, it's eyes for that otherness. And it would, would mean disrupting our lives for the sake of other individuals. And so this is how I want to end. Do you feel sent? You say, well, I, I, no, I don't, I don't. Okay, well, then... First, you need to, see, to be sent, you need to feel the blessing. To feel the blessing, you need to see the blessing he gave you. And that's that hawk. He, he has to be that hawk. Where are you being sent this morning, friends? Where are the ways that you've left your country and your people and your family to go out and to bring other people in? It could be to your neighborhood. It could be to your friends. It could be to your workspaces. It could be to that annoying aunt or that uncle. It could, I mean, I, I don't know your backgrounds. But there's a calling on you. And it's, it's, it's a call to go out not knowing where you're going to... There's, a, there's a, a level of mystery because we don't know how it's, how it's going to turn out. But we're, we're, we're empowered and able to because our identity, the way we used to get our identity is, that was primary is now secondary. He's primary in our life. What are the ways God's calling you that might be calling you out towards something much deeper, much, much richer, much better? As if today you don't feel called out, you have to first ask Have I really let His love for me be that all encompassing life, powering out all the other affections and propelling me into other individuals uh, for their betterment? Get there by dwelling not just on these promises spoken to you, but on the life and the nature of Jesus Christ. That's my, um, my, my plea to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I know I'm 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 not part of this. I'm not embedded in, in this community, and here I am up front trying to say, "Go out, go out." And they're like, "Well, who are you?" I pray that they can get past the messenger to the message that you give us. From the very beginning of human history, you've called a, a group of people to go out and be a blessing, and we haven't been. Like, can we start with repentance? Can we start with apologizing, maybe on a group level? We haven't been as active and as, as, um, as involved in other people's lives as we should have been. But I pray that we also repent because we, the reason why we haven't done that is because we haven't allowed you to ha- be that grace in our life, to, to show us the grace that you've given us through your active work on the cross. I pray we start with that, Father, and move in our own hearts reveal yourself in a profound way so that this is not something I have to do. It's just something I want to do. It's not something that is, well, maybe I should, maybe not. There's a compelled nature to go. And, and Father, what's so beautiful is you don't give us specificity of where it has to happen. You just say do it. And so I pray that this congregation, this new congregation, would consider the ways That they could go, maybe that's to form a new community here. Maybe it's the relationship and the the family nature that you're building here. But I pray that there would be a a purposefulness and not just a falling into, but a, but a, a driven and a direction and a mission behind it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.